Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46 and can be found on page 988 in your pew Bibles. Jesus taught that love for God is evidenced by love for our neighbor, that experiencing God's forgiveness will lead us to share mercy, and our experience of God's love will cause us to extend that love to others. At the final judgment, the fruit of our faith will separate the righteous from the unrighteous, and determine our eternal destination. A reading from Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the 31st verse. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and who placed the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. I don't normally begin my sermons by saying, I'm glad you're here, but today I am. I'm glad you came back because we've been going through this sermon series that we've called The Prophet but we really should have called it the hard sayings of Jesus. It's been pretty tough sledding. 
And I'm glad you came back. We've been hearing about hellfire and brimstone, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today there's promise of eternal punishment. Yet you came back for more. We have one more sermon after today in this series, and we're going to see next week that, in fact, as Jesus continues these hard sayings, a lot of his followers leave. They don't come back. Some do. Some lean in and want to hear more, as you've done this morning. And even as the world around us seems to be turning away from Jesus, here you are, here we are. And I think if we lean in and listen to this hard saying of Jesus, we'll learn what his early disciples heard. We'll hear the promise of eternal life. We'll also learn how to live here in this world. Let me just pray before we continue. Lord, here we are leaning in. As we just sung, open our eyes to see you, but open our ears, open our hearts, open our lives for even this hard teaching. Show us the promise of eternal life. Show us how to live here on earth by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to understand a chapter of the Bible like this, uh, we have to do a little bit of biblical theology. So I'm going to begin with that, with three categories, with three areas of biblical theology so that we can wrap our minds around Matthew chapter 25. The three areas of biblical theology we'll look at today are Jesus as judge, God's concern for the poor, and salvation by grace alone. Jesus as judge, God's concern for the poor, salvation by grace alone. Let's look at this biblical theology of Jesus as judge. We don't often think of him that way, but here he is. Let's begin with verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... This is Jesus speaking, by the way. In my Bible, all the words of these paragraphs are read. It's the words of Jesus. It's actually the last teaching he does before he enters into Jerusalem and dies on the cross. This is is what he chose to leave his disciples with. He's going to say more after the resurrection, but this is his last statement. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus referred to himself most often with this phrase, Son of Man. We have various phrases we use for him. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Son of God. But this is the one he preferred. It's a reference way back to the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, the Son of Man is mentioned in apocalyptic terms. At the end of the age, the Son of Man will appear. Jesus used that phrase about himself. And it's fitting for this chapter. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, picture this now, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus will judge the nations. I don't know about you, but when I picture Jesus on any given day, I don't necessarily picture him on his throne of judgment. I picture Jesus meek and mild. Jesus, miracle worker. Yes, Jesus on the cross. Jesus resurrecting from the tomb. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. But I don't always think of him in this judging capacity. But here he is. 
But we know this as Christians. We know that Jesus will judge. I don't know if you noticed this. It kind of comes off as rote these days when we say the Apostles' Creed. But we actually said this together just a few minutes ago when we said the Apostles' Creed. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then we said, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That phrase, living and the dead, comes from another passage in the New Testament that talks about Jesus judging the nations. And it says that whether you're alive at the time of the second coming or whether you've died on the timeline of human history before that, you will be brought out before Jesus to be judged, to be separated like sheep into his flock, into his fold forever, or goats, wherever goats go. We'll find out. I don't always think of him that way. I remember when I was a kid, there was a bumper sticker everywhere. And it said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Remember that one? And when I got a little bit older, I saw a t-shirt in a lot of places that said, Jesus is my homeboy. (laughs) Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus is my homeboy. I've never seen a sign that says, Jesus is my judge. (laughs) Less popular view of him, isn't it? But here he is. And what will he do as judge? Well, it says here he will separate. He will divide. This is a really helpful reminder for us, I think, at this point in our history, because the way I see it, I look around at our world, I look around at our country, and I see us dividing ourselves in lots of creative ways. We have lots of labels for ourselves and labels for others, good guys, bad guys. And we're doing this all over the place. It's splintering institutions and families and nations. So it's helpful to remember that ultimately, Jesus will get the final say on who's divided where. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. So what are his criteria? How does he divide the tribes, as it were? Well, it leads to our second area of biblical theology. God's concern for the poor. Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll divide us. He'll separate us based on those who share his concern for the poor. And this is not the first time in the Bible this appears. It's throughout the entire narrative of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, Torah, the prophets, the writings, the epistles, the gospels. It's everywhere. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Throughout the Old Testament... In particular, there are four types of people that God seems particularly concerned with. The theologian Nicholas Waltersdorf called them the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. The widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. It's all over the Old Testament, in particular a place like Zechariah chapter 7. All four are mentioned in one place. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless or orphan, the sojourner. That word sojourner just simply means somebody who's in your country who's not a citizen there. Other translations translated as migrant. The orphan, the migrant, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. All throughout the pages of Scripture, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the poor, the imprisoned, the naked, the hungry. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus in the Gospels gets his first chance to proclaim something, he's in the the synagogue in Nazareth, and the scroll of Isaiah is read. 
and he interprets it as himself. We know this. Those of you who've been following Christ for some time, you know what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim, finish it with me, good news to the the poor. You see? Once you see it in Scripture, you realize it's everywhere. God's concern for the poor. And here we realize that Jesus, as judge, when he divides us, when he separates us, he'll be dividing us based on those who share his concern for the poor and those who disregard the poor. Now, there's a lot that could be said here about what Jesus means by the poor. I did it my entire doctorate trying to understand this question. If Jesus said he's good news to the poor, then what's my message as a gospel preacher to people who are materially wealthy? There's different ways of measuring poverty than just material poverty. But having said that, you cannot ignore what seems particularly the focus of Matthew chapter 25, which is material poverty. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about food. He's talking about imprisonment. These are people who are materially poor. Yes, he shares. He has a concern for those who are materially rich, but spiritually or relationally poor. But we can't use that as an excuse not to share his concern for the materially poor. So how do we get into that flock? How do we get into that group of sheep when he separates? Well, by sharing his concern for the poor. Now, you might hear that. You might read Matthew 25 and say, okay, I get it. Salvation is by works. I get to be in the flock of sheep. I get to go to heaven if I share his concern for the poor and just do kind and generous and sacrificial things for them. You might think that when you read a verse like 46, These, he's talking about the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He is talking about salvation here. And if all we had from God was Matthew 25, we could rightly conclude that salvation is by works. But you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. The whole narrative doesn't tell us that this is how we get into heaven. So how do we understand this? How do we reconcile this? You might remember last spring I preached on the five solas of the Reformation. We're saved by grace alone, not works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. That's the real narrative of Scripture. We're saved by grace alone. So how do we reconcile that with Matthew 25 that seems to say, if we care for the poor, we'll get into heaven? Well, it begins, this care for the poor, this concern for the poor, Long before the judgment day. It ends with Jesus, but it also begins with Jesus. Here's what I mean. When we realize what Christ has done for us, we realize we are the impoverished ones. That he has blessed by his grace. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 spells it out in very clear detail. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I came down here to look at this with you because I wanted to see this verse with the cross right in the middle. This isn't talking about finances. Jesus didn't empty his bank account to make us rich. That's what you call the prosperity gospel. No, what's it talking about? It's talking about what happened to him on the cross. He emptied himself even more costly than a bank account. He emptied himself, his very life, his blood was spilled. He died in our place so that we could live. 
God's concern for the poor starts with us. He looked at all of us in our abject poverty, our spiritual poverty, our separation from him, and he emptied himself so that we could be lifted up and live with him forever. That's where God's concern for the poor begins. And when you see that, when you realize what he's done for you, when we realize what he's done for us on the cross, we're filled with gratitude. And we look around at the people around us and we say, ah, here's a poor person. Here's an imprisoned person. Here's a naked person. Here's a hungry person. I know what God did for me in Christ. Now I want to do that same thing for them. And it's like a vine connected to a branch. And we bear fruit. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. He's describing the same thing in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Or in other translations, apart from me, you can do no good thing. So those good things we do, those good works that we do, well, it's Christ's compassion, it's Christ's sacrifice, it's Christ's generosity, it's Christ's love in us, like a branch connected to a vine bearing fruit, you see? Notice the people in the story, they didn't even know they were blessing people. Lord, when did we do that? That's a sign that it's fruit. Christ in you. Jesus said to his disciples, the world will know you are my disciples by your love. It's the fruit. It's his fruit growing on our branches. And interestingly, the converse is also true. If we have withered up branches, if we're not bearing fruit, if we learn what Jesus did for us on the cross and we keep it to ourselves and we're not generous to those who need it, we're like a withering branch. And what happens? The very next verse in John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. Branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. I do this Every spring, I gather up all the branches from the yard and I put it in the fire pit in my yard. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the fires of hell. If we know what he did for us and we stop the channel, we stop the sap going through the branches and we bear no fruit, we're rejecting what he's done for us, you see. And we end up separated from him. It's the same thing he's saying in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, the branch that bears fruit and the branch that withers. I don't know about you, but I really prefer the John 15 version. It just seems nicer. You know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can put that on the throw pillow or something. But the sheep and the goat seems a little harsher. But he's saying the same thing. It's not that our good works save us. It's that his good work for us has saved us. And out of the overflow of gratitude, we bear that same fruit in this world. If we know what's been done for us, we will want to do it to the least of these. And the inverse is also true. Jesus as judge, God's concern for the poor, salvation by grace. These are the biblical theologies. But I've realized as I've, I've been preaching for almost 20 years now, and I've realized that most people, when they, if they remember anything from my sermons... It's not usually the theology. It's the stories. So we've dealt with some of the theology here, but I just want to tell a story now that I think will illustrate all this theology. 
And I hope that it not only illustrates it, but I hope that it serves as an example, as an invitation for all of us of how to respond to a text like this. I want to tell you about my friend, John. John lives around here. He's a member of our church. And when we were still open in Stanford, worshiping on Sunday nights in the boxing gym, John, was, John would worship there. And I got to know him a little bit through that and got to see his service to the ports, especially to the homeless in Stanford. John has a corporate job. In 2012, he was uh, assigned the, uh, the CFO of Bridgeport Hospital. And in 2020, he was promoted as the VP of Finance for the whole Yale New Haven system. Big corporate job. So he was a pretty busy guy with all of his corporate responsibilities, but he began showing up early in the mornings at the Stanford train station to meet the homeless people who had slept there the night before. He used to make sandwiches with a guy named Paul Barker. Some of you might remember Paul. Paul and Mary have moved away to another city in Connecticut. But they used to make sandwiches and show up at 5.30 a.m. John would show up on Friday mornings at 5.30, and he'd invite some of the men of Pivot with him. Pivot Ministries is an addiction recovery program that we also partner with. And he started getting to know some of the homeless people on that train platform. And he realized they needed more than just a sandwich. Sometimes he would take them to a local restaurant and treat them to a nice meal. Then he realized they needed even more than just a nice meal. And on those really, really cold winter weeks and days, sometimes he'd put some of them up in a, in a hotel for a week or two weeks at a time to give them warmth, to give them showers, to give them some dignity. And he realized he needed, they needed more than just a week or two in the hotel. So he started working on longer-term solutions, longer-term housing for some of them. That's, that takes a lot of work. I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with that, getting into some of these agencies and getting into approval from some of this funding that people can get for longer-term housing. It, it's like writing a grant proposal. It's like impossible. John just did it. He stuck to it out of love for them. And he got a few people into long-term housing. He really started getting to know some of these people, and he started inviting them. Actually, there was one woman that he met, and she had some pretty serious health issues going on. And because John worked for Yale New Haven Health Systems, he said, I know some people who might take a look at you. So we brought her to work with him. And while she waited for her medical appointments, he hung out in her office. Can you imagine being in the C-suite of some corporate job and one of your coworkers starts bringing homeless people into their office? It really got the attention of some of his coworkers. And he started inviting some of them, some of his team, into this relational work with homeless people. He would invite 25 people from his workplace to have dinner with the men of Pivot and with some of the homeless people. And at the end of those dinners, the pivot men would sing praise songs. Well, John recently retired from Yale New Haven. And as you can imagine, at his retirement party, what his coworkers were saying about him. Can you imagine the impact that work like that would have on a corporate work environment? I'm so inspired by John. And I was thinking, you know, as we reopen our location in Stanford, as we enter into a more urban environment, we're going to need more Johns. Because there's a lot of people out there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I was thinking about this last spring 
And I was thinking, I, I wish I had a position on the org chart. I wish I had a staff person who could lead the congregation well in this effort, in this caring for the least of these effort that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. And I wrote a job description called Leader of Missional Engagement. Someone like John who could just lead the congregation into those places because a lot of us don't know where to go to start. And I was sharing all of that with the missions committee last spring. And uh, John's on the missions committee. And the next morning, he, uh, he called me up and he said, hey, I heard what you were saying last night about that position. And I said, yeah, I know it's, I would love that. We just can't afford it. You know, it costs a lot of money to bring on a new staff person. He said, I want to do it and I don't need to be paid. And like I said, John just retired a couple of weeks ago. It was his last day. And uh, I have this announcement to show you. We have a new person on the uh, org chart here, John Skelly, a leader of missional engagement. <laughs> He's here with us. He's sitting next to my wife who is elbowing him hard. I get that all the time from her, John. Thank you, brother, for leading us, for showing us. You know, John, John wanted me to share with you. He said, tell him it's easier than it seems. He said, it's kind of like working out. Getting started is the hardest part. I know that feeling. If you want to connect with John, if you're feeling a tug today to want to get involved in some of the things he's involved with, his email address is on there, john at sandwichchurch.org. He'll be in Emmaus Hall. But I also, I look around this room and I see a lot of people like John. A lot of you are involved in various organizations. The partnership to end human trafficking was birthed out of this church. Seriously, if you go around to a lot of the nonprofits in this area, Bridgeport Rescue Mission and these other places, go on their website, look at the boards. Stanwich Church is on those boards. I see you guys all over the place. So we're doing this. It's also possible there's somebody here this morning who's hearing all this and you're thinking, I think I might be one of those goats. <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it, how we, we use that word goat nowadays as a positive thing? He's the goat, greatest of all time. Yeah, not so much in the economy of Jesus. If you're feeling that tug, well, guess what? It, here's the best part is that it's Jesus' generosity to you. It's, you need to know more of the gospel actually. You need to be that vine connected to the branch and knowing what Christ has done for you. Keep coming back. Listen, we preach the gospel every Sunday here, but then don't stop it. Let that sap, let that nutrient, let that grace flow from the vine to the branches to bear fruit in your life. Show up at some of these things. We announce missional engagement things every week from this pulpit and from our community community newsletter. It's true what John said. Just get started. And and that leads me to the last thing I want to leave us with, which is a promise. If If you do this work, Jesus gives us this wonderful promise. There's a verse that I didn't preach on. I skipped it, but I want to return to it now as our last thought. And it's the promise of meeting him, meeting Jesus himself in these places of serving. Verse 40. The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers... You did it to me. What did Jesus mean by that? Honestly, I don't really know. Maybe he meant because all people are created in the image of God, 
when we serve them, we meet God. That homeless person you walk by, that hungry person you neglected, that person bears the image of God. So when we serve them, when we meet them, we meet God. Maybe he meant that. Maybe he was just really trying to personalize it. And for us achiever-type-minded people, he didn't say, uh, when you serve the least of these, you did it for me. Good job, you did something for me. No, that's not the idea. It's, remember, it's fruit on branches. You did it to me. It's personal. Or you didn't. So I, I don't know. That's a good lunchtime discussion. What did Jesus mean by that? Here's what I do know, though. I do know that when I have shown up in those places, like John does so frequently and like so many of you do, when I show up in those places of poverty and of need to serve, Jesus is there. I mean, I see some of your heads nodding. Those of you who have been on mission trips, the, the poorest place I've ever been is a, a, a shanty town, a slum in Guatemala City. Some of you have been there with our mission partner there. The most materially poor place. And all I can say is when I walk those streets, they're not even really streets, they're paths. When I walk those paths and I meet those people and I hold their hands and I pray with them, the presence of Jesus is just thick in the atmosphere. It's amazing. So if you want to connect with Christ more, serve. You'll find, you'll discover that when you serve the least of these, you do it to Christ himself. And what better way to prepare for eternity? Well, we're going to be in that flock, hopefully, to be with him forever than by starting to be with him now, with the poor where he is and where he promises to meet us. Let's join him there. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.